Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. We'll try to cover chapter 11 and 12, because there's so many details that we probably will not read that much of it. On chapter 11, it has to do with uh, holy food for holy people. And chapter 12 has to do with the purification of a, of a mother after childbirth. And uh, we want to just briefly talk about that. And uh, we'll try to cover those two chapters, or these two chapters, in our lesson tonight. Let's read verses 1 through 7, and then, or 1 through 8, I should say. And then we'll uh, talk about, uh, basically, this would cover the thoughts concerning the rest of the animals and the fowl and the different things that were clean and unclean. So let's read verses 1 through 8, if you will. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts uh, which ye shall eat among the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Now notice that this verse mentions two things. It had to have a divided hoof, and it had to have an animal that would chew the cud. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the swine, though he, though he divide the, the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, uh, he is unclean unto you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch, they are unclean to you. So there were clean and unclean animals. And in the next section, he deals with the fish. And then he deals with the uh, birds, different kinds of, uh, uh, of uh, the uh, birds that, and of the flock, I mean of the uh, fowl. And then on down, he deals with unclean creeping things. And beginning with verse 29, and so on and so forth. And so all through here, you have different uh, kinds of creatures that God says are clean and unclean. Now then, uh, a, a good verse to be reminded of is to look in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, where it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, uh, we know that all Scripture that is given is necessary. God doesn't give us Scripture that's not necessary. And God gives minute instructions for both service and worship. How we're to worship Him, we've already discussed that. And how we're to serve Him. In chapter 10, we have man-made plans versus God-made plans for worship. And, and uh, man-made pro programs are to be canceled out. And God-made 
programs in the New Testament versus man-made programs in the New Testament church. We're not to have man-made programs. We touched on that last week when we said that there was a, a man-made religion in the book of Kings and how that God detested that. And God leaves no room for the fancy of men nor the imagination of the mind to uh, decide what is holy and what is unholy, what is clean and unclean. He gives us the instructions and He tells us. Everything is laid down to precision by the Word of God. It says, Thus saith the Lord. And whatever God says, that's what's uh, correct, whether it's clean or unclean. And He tells us the uh, kinds of things that, uh, that we're to take note of here in this chapter. Leviticus 11. <clears throat> and man was not permitted to decide what kind of sacrifice should be offered. He was not permitted to, uh, to decide what time of the sacrifice nor the occasion of the sacrifice. These were all left up to God's instructions. The Word of the Lord settled it all. Men had only to obey and needed only to obey what God had commanded and then everything would be alright. And in chapter 11, God enters into the most detailed description of, of beasts and birds and fish and reptiles and furnishes people with various marks by which they are to know what was clean and what was unclean. Verses 46 and 47, if you have this in Leviticus 11, 46 and 47, uh, these are a key text to understanding uh, what we've we will study in the uh, 11th chapter. And it sums it up in this way. This is the law of the beast and of the fowl and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and of every creature that creepeth upon the earth to make a difference. Now notice this. To make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So God gives us very many specifics concerning these things. And we find also that care in feeding the body teaches us care in feeding the soul. If God's concerned about the food for the body, certainly He's concerned about the food for our souls. I mean, we're not to eat on the garbage of this world as far as our spiritual food is concerned. And neither would we eat that as far as our physical is concerned. When God says something is unclean, we're, uh, we're told that that's what we're not to eat of. And then uh, it shows us that God is greatly concerned about what kind of food we eat, spiritually or physically. He is concerned with our health and our happiness and our holiness. These three. Health, happiness, and holiness. And God's people cannot live as other people live. We're to live differently, not only in the physical food that we take in, but especially the spiritual food that we take in. And that's what he's really... Uh, the real lesson here is of a spiritual nature. Because for Israel, things that were forbidden in the Old Testament, God has removed the uh, requirements and restrictions in the New Testament. And He tells us that we can eat what we want to eat if we receive it with thanksgiving. 
and the Word of God in thanksgiving. He's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer, Paul tells Timothy. He says there's nothing unclean of itself. So when we get to the New Testament, these restrictions are lifted. However, it would probably be better if we would observe some of these Old Testament restrictions because we'd probably be far more healthy than we are today. So I don't have anything against observing them. But on the other hand, the restrictions are not put in place for we as New Testament Christians. Uh, however, we should guard against foods that are unhealthy and uh, not eat those. And uh, think about it. You're free to eat uh, all things that you want to if you thank God for it. Some people even eat rattlesnake meat. I don't want any, but you can eat it if you want to. And <laughs> I don't want to get that close to any crawly thing. Especially to eat it. But some people feel like it's a delicacy. But the thing about it is, uh, God's people cannot live as other people. Uh, look in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 7. It says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So God has called us to holiness, and so unclean things we're not to partake of. In our spiritual lives especially. And there's plenty to to realize that we're to avoid in our spiritual lives. So God's Word is enough to instruct us, isn't it? And when we mix the people of the world to get them to mix with us on Sunday, the results are that we get worldly. And here's the reason why. Some people say, well, I'll mix with the world because I want to win them. Well, listen, you've already got two strikes against you if you know, don't know that. First of all, we still have our human Adamic nature. We still have that old nature. And, uh, but the unsaved person doesn't have the spiritual nature, so it's naturally a one-sided battle. Can you see the one-sidedness in this? That we have a new nature, but we still have an old nature. And the unsaved person has the old nature completely, but does not have a new nature. So, both of those things are against us. So, it's a one-sided battle as far as we're concerned. Our spiritual nature cannot fight and will, should not be able to, to mix with that carnal and that unsaved nature of the unsaved person. And so, you, they have the advantage. Someone says, well, you know what I'll do. I'll just go along with this unsaved person and I'll be able to win them. You better look out. You know, a lot of times uh, when you consider some of these games of chance, a lot of, the, a lot of the stack is against you to start with, isn't it? If the odds were not against you, those people that have those kind of programs would not be always the winners and make all the money. You can see by the results where you come out. They've got it going, haven't they? Look at our casinos down here. Billy the Kid Casino and over at the end and down on the highway and all over the country. Well, They've got the advantage. Don't ever kid yourself that you're going to come out a winner. 
If you stay with it long enough, you're going to be the loser. Same way at the racetrack. You're going to be the loser down there. Someone says, oh, I know people that really got rich on it. That's, that's the exception to the rule. And if you stay with it long enough, that person that got rich, if he's really gullible in gambling, he's going to fool around and he say, boy, now the odds are way in my favor this time and he'll push it all in there. And he'll come out with what? Nothing. The surest way is to keep what you have. Someone said, did you, did you win at the racetrack? I said, I won by not going. I'm the winner because I didn't go. And I love to see horses run. The old, I, I was raised up with horses. And we'd, the guys with me, we'd run up and down the street and read those and see who could get to a certain store first or a restaurant. And I'd say, I'll beat you to the restaurant. We'll have lunch. And they had, they had hitching posts out in front of the cafes up here when I was... Oh, absolutely. They didn't have much parking space, but they had plenty of poles out there for you to tie your horse to. And, and that's the truth. And uh, we'd, we'd just run, see who could get there first. And that was racing, but we were not trying to gamble on it. We'd just get there and then we'd go in and have lunch. And uh, the thing about it is, uh, there's a lot of things that are good in themselves that men have corrupted anyway. The old cowboys, they used to run over the mountains and see who could get to a certain town or some place first. Sometimes I'll tell you a little story. Is the best time now? Okay. This man had two sons. A rancher had two sons. And he was about to die. And he said, this is what it's going to be. He said, each of you take your horse and you start at a certain place and the one that gets to the ranch last is going to inherit is going to inherit the ranch and the possessions. So what were they to do? They couldn't try to outrun the other, could they? What were they to do? It's kind of a riddle. One whose horse got there last. The answer is trade horses. And then run. They were to trade horses. You, you don't get it. Okay. The one whose horse got there last would win the race. So if they traded horses, they could run to get there first. Now you get it? Okay. Trade horses. But anyway, that's just another little thing that I tried to throw in there. And I don't know how, I don't even know whether it worked or not. <laughs> so, we still have the human nature, but the unsaved person doesn't have the spiritual nature. And so it's, it's naturally one-sided. Believers should study the clean Word of God and pray over it and let it grow in their lives so that others can see Jesus in us. By the way, that's what Brother Nichols read in his uh, reading this morning. To see Christ in us. And some of you were here and heard that. Some foods are not fit for the body, even as some foods are unfit for the soul. Second Corinthians six, Second Corinthians chapter six and verse seventeen says, 
uh, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So, God's Word tells us to touch not the unclean thing. And I will be, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Sons and daughters are supposed to be some, have some representation of what their fathers and mothers are like, right? You know, you've heard say, well, he's just a chip off the old block, or he's just like his dad, or she's like her mother, or he's like her mo- his mother. Because sometimes they take on different characteristics and things of father and mother, which is wonderful. And then in verse 1 of chapter 7, if you still have the place, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, we're to do some self-cleaning. Cleanse ourselves. Touch not the unclean thing, it said in verse 17, the previous chapter. And here it says, from all filthiness of the flesh. Now notice it says, and spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. That means our own spirit. Because the Holy Spirit certainly does not need any cleansing, right? By the way, when you study spirit in the Bible, there's one word for it. One word for the Holy Spirit, one word for our spirit, man's spirit, one word for uh, even uh, the spirit of the devil, demon spirits. All one word. P-N-E-U-M-A is the way it is in the Greek. So, you have to look at the context to see who it's referring to. And the context here definitely shows us that this is man's spirit that needs to be cleansed. We know it's not the Holy Spirit. So let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so we do not, uh, uh, sometimes we do not realize that there are some foods that are unfit for our soul in our spiritual life. Sin is typified by these unclean animals. And this is Scripture whereby we may see how to live as Christians. These things are teaching us how to live. Fish with scales and fins move in the waters, but they're not filled with the waters through their flesh. And it shows us when you get to the out of the beasts and animals, you get to the fish. And what I just said, they have scales and they have fins and they move in the waters, but they're not filled with the waters. And the waters do not penetrate their flesh. And we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We should not let the world penetrate our being as well. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, they are in the world, but not of the world. John 17, verse 6, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest me them Me, and they have kept My word. On down, He says... Uh, in verse uh, 
11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are one. Down in verse 13, And now come out of Thee, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they might have My joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them Thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, He left them in the world, but they're not of the world. And therefore, we're to uh, realize that we're not to be of the world. The Bible tells us in not only in John 17 that we just read, but in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 2, maybe along verse 15, you might look it up and see. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And it says, And the world passeth away and with the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So it teaches us to live the right kind of life as Christians. In verse 1 of a chapter in the text of this 11th chapter of Leviticus, in verse 1, we read the instructions that God gave here in Leviticus will produce and maintain a healthy body. And however, these physical instructions are not binding upon the Christians. We've already said that. But they represent spiritual instructions that are binding upon the Christians. The spiritual instructions that we've been studying are binding upon us. The things we referred to in the New Testament. And God does not put anything uh, superfluous in His Word. Or uh, exceeding what is sufficient and necessary. Or wasteful. He doesn't waste Scripture. Waste words. But everything that He puts there is necessary. And that's why we're to take all of God's Word. That which part of the hoof determines the nature of one's walk or character. That's verse 3. The parted hoof shows or distinguishes or separated walk. We're to have a separated walk. In 1 John chapter 3, let me see if I can find that one. 1 John chapter 3 and uh, verse 10, it says this, In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. It tells us in another verse that we're to walk even as he walked. Let's see if I can find that one. But it, I believe it's in the same chapter. But uh, it tells us that we're to walk as Jesus walked. I may not have the verse, but anyway, it tells us that in First John. That we're to walk even as he walked. So, the departed hoof shows us that we're to walk and live a separated life. And then when we get to that chew of the could, back in Leviticus now, God's Word is not only to be read, but it's to be assimilated. The food that we take in is to be digested. So that the psalmist says that we need to be like uh, the tree that's planted by the rivers of water and meditate in God's Word. And therefore, we will uh, prosper. 
says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Day and night. You ought to be thinking about it of a morning, think about it when you go to bed, and then during the day. Meditate in God's Word. In other words, have Scripture on your mind. Think about it when you're driving down the road and, and uh, about to come to the Y down there and, and think of the Scripture that He shall give His angels charge concerning thee. That they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. And you think of those Scriptures, how God has sent you a guardian angel to take care of you. Because when you're out on that road, there's a great big weighty uh, missile just about ready to hit you. Did you know that? That's why you have so many automobile accidents. So you see them on the news every day. Remember this bus? It thought it was had to make the exit. And it was a left, left lane exit on the freeway instead of a right lane exit. And they haven't done anything about it. They said, well, there's nothing in their plans to, 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 to change it. It's going to take an act of Congress probably to do it. But anyway, we face dangers uh, constantly, day in and day out. And that's why we need God's Word in our hearts. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Chewing the cud must never be separated from the divided hoof. Notice, both of these had to be. Let's read verse uh, 4. It says, Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud. Well, you say, that's one requirement. Or them that divide the hoof as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. In other words, both of these things had to be uh, present in the, in the separation between the clean and the unclean. Either one is insufficient within itself. The inward life must coincide with the outward walk. Our inward life must be like our outward walk. We can't just say, well, you know, uh, I'm clean on the inside. Everything's okay. But how do you walk? How do you live? That's why the Bible teaches that we ought to live, practice what we preach, right? Jesus did, didn't He? Jesus did. And He's our perfect example. You say, well, Jesus even warned about, He said, the Pharisees say, but they do not, right? They'll tell you what to do. And, and he, he says, listen to what they say, but He says, don't do after their works. So that's not good enough, is it? And by the way, if you say something to someone to try to correct them, if you're not doing it yourself, it doesn't mean anything. They just won't take it for any face value. Neither should they. Because we're to live like we profess. The camel, large chewing animal, having a stomach with a branch that stores a large quantity of water for uh, use as desired. He's humpbacked and can live on very little food and that of the coarsest kind of food. But God does not want His people to be gluttonous and store up food. He doesn't want us to just store up the Word of God and never give any of it out. 
So if you have a knowledge of God's Word, what are you to do with it? You're to dispense it to others. That's why we have a lot of preaching and teaching up here in this church. Because we want to give out what we have received. Paul tells Timothy, he says, the words that you've received from me, Paul taught Timothy, he says, the same commit unto faithful men that they may be able to what? Teach others also. You see, it's to go on and on and on, isn't it? The Word of God. And it's... When I teach you, it becomes your responsibility to say something to someone else. Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, he says, I I want you to know that I'm clear of the blood of all men. Why, Paul? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The reason he was clear is because he declared the whole counsel of God. And that's the way, the only way you and I will be clear. And uh, God does not want, you know, we refer to the humpback camel. God does not want His uh, people to look deformed. He wants them to be full grown, mature, and of a right sort. God wants His people to eat fine food. Food that will give enjoyment as well as strength. Then you come to verses 13-20, through 20, this section. All these birds have a spiritual meaning shown by their nature. And any contact with evil defiles the child of God and destroys his fellowship with God and with the people of God. Now then, I want you to think about chapter uh, 12. And I won't read too much of it. Uh, well, in fact, well, let's read the whole, the whole of it. There's only uh, eight verses. But let's read chapter 12. And this has to do with the birth of a child, whether it be a man-child or a a maid-child. So let's read it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days, according to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day... In, uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. Notice, thirty-three days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. We'll refer to Mary in just a moment that brought Jesus into the world because there's a purpose for it. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be un- unclean two weeks, and as in her separation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying three score and six days. That would be sixty-six instead of thirty-three. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law. <coughs> this is the law. <coughs> excuse me, for her that hath born a male or a female. And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle, turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This is very important. 
maybe more important than some people realize. If you notice <clears throat> that this is likely that all these ordinances, even intended to show man's natural impurity and original defilement by sin and the necessity of atonement to cleanse from sin and to really show that he needs righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Chapter 12 gives us the double mark of the fallen nature of man. Infirmity and defilement. This received, this received in the helplessness of a little baby. A little baby. The infirmity of the flesh all through life. Uh, Paul, um, not Paul, but David said in Psalm 51, In sin did my mother conceive me. He didn't mean it was a sin for uh, the human race to be propagated or uh, to have children. He meant that the nature of sin is passed on to all of us, men and women, male and female. And that's what David was talking about. He says, I, he was saying, I received a sinful nature. And all of us must admit that. And we carry the infirmity of the flesh all through life. Man seeks to cover up his humiliation, put on an appearance of strength and glory, but it's all in vain. Man enters the world helpless and leaves the world helpless. That's the way we leave this world. Helpless. And many times helpless before we actually leave it. Completely helpless. How many people have you seen and I've seen that helplessness? Maybe days, months, and sometimes even years before you leave this world completely helpless. We brought nothing in this world and it's certain we'll take nothing away. The birth of a man-child involves seven days ceremonial defilement together with 33 days separation from the sanctuary. And the birth of a female child doubled these periods of time. This teaches us that man is an unclean thing and that he needs the blood of atonement to cleanse him. And we could say many things about uh, this, but I want to get to one thing, and that is in Luke chapter 2, verse 24. Turn to Luke chapter 2 and verse 24. I want you to see something. If the mother was unable to bring a lamb, she could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, showing forth that the poor could have an offering, revealing that nothing but blood could provide cleansing. And if you notice, back here it said one of these turtle doves was for, was for a burnt offering and the other was for a sin offering. Why would two turtle doves be connected with the birth of Christ if Mary had no sin. She'd just bring two and they'd be whole burnt offerings, right? But she confessed that God, my soul rejoices in God my Savior when she was talking about the birth of Christ. It shows that Mary confessed that she had a sinful nature. It shows also that they were poor. 
Let's read 2.24. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what she brought. For the days of her purification were accomplished in verse 22. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the 